And now, it's time for Lawyers for Jesus Radio, lighting our path through law. A show about faith in the law and in the marketplace. Featuring the partners from the law firm Mauk and Baker. Located in downtown Chicago, Mauk and Baker is nationally known for defending freedom and serving the people of faith. And now, Lawyers for Jesus. Hello, welcome to Lawyers for Jesus Radio. I'm Rich Baker, and today we're going to be speaking with Frank H. Buckley, a foundation professor at George Mason University's Scalia School of Law and author of the new book, The Republican Workers' Party, a book about the 2016 election and the resulting changes uh, to American politics. I am an attorney and a partner with the law firm of Malkin Baker in Chicago. We are Christian attorneys that focus on serving the body of Christ with its legal needs. We do everything from zoning to estate planning to not-for-profit administration and defending religious freedom. You can find out more about us uh, by going to MaukBaker.com, that's M-A-U-C-K-B-A-K-E-R.com, or call 312-726-1243. You can also follow us on Facebook and Twitter to keep up to date on developments about faith and the law. Frank Buckley has written several books and has been uh, published in the New York Post, Wall Street Journal, U.S. Today, and National Review. He has also appeared on many media uh, networks such as CNN, NPR, Fox News, and C-SPAN. In 2016, he worked on the Trump campaign, writing speeches for him and his family and advising on the transition matters. Frank, welcome to the show. Well, thank you for having me. I'm delighted to be here. Uh, Lots and lots of questions for you today. Uh, Even before we started the show, we were having quite a conversation here. Why don't we start out by giving our audience a little background? What's your background, both in law and politics, and how do these two intersect? Well, uh, I'm a lawyer. I practice law actually in Canada, but I've been living in the States for about 30 years. I can hear your accent, by the way. It's still there. That's what they tell me. Uh, anyway, I've, been, I've lived here for 30 years, an American citizen. I'm a proud American. And uh, as you've noted, worked on the Trump campaign. Uh, but, you know, I'm just an academic. I don't know how I got involved in it, but I did. I wrote uh, a number of speeches for the candidate and for members of his family. And I was delighted because I found we were just perfectly in sync. I mean, we, we you know, we people may have forgotten where we were about five years back. I'm we thinking had, about two and a half years back, well, actually. That, that would do it, too. But, <laughs> I mean, we had this jobless recovery. We had a culture war going on, right, where it looked like people of faith were on the defensive. Uh, I mean, there was a, a whole gay rights movement. And it didn't look like this was a shield for gay people so much as a sword to be used against people of faith. Uh, And people were pretty, on the left, were pretty explicit about that. And then along comes Donald Trump, and the message is completely different. And the way to understand Trump is, is think about the title of my book, The Republican Workers' Party. Well, I took that from Trump. But, um, you know, when I talk to Democrats about that, they kind of get offended. You know, work, workers, I thought we owned all that. And that was the point. You know, we ate their lunch. And, right? and let's, let's go back and, and just uh, give a little background about it. Uh, Trump seemed like such an unlikely candidate. And when he first uh, appeared in the debates, I completely wrote him off, and I am a Republican. So yeah. how did you see him differently, and how did that – what were you seeing? 
I saw 17 people on the stage. I saw 16 designated losers. And I saw one guy who possessed the toughness to take on uh, Hillary Clinton. And, and, and I did not see him that way at all. How did you pick him out for that? What, what was you standing out? Know, I what, do. When he talked to Megyn Kelly, there was a famous point where she tried to take him to task for comments he made about women. And what he said is, you know, frankly, I don't have time for political correctness. And, you know, the polls indicated there was a spike of support for Trump afterwards. People were waiting for somebody that tough. What we didn't want was, you know, a nice, well-brought-up Jeb Bush. Okay, great guy, wonderful family and all that. You know, I'm not sure about the foreign policy, but the point is, you got to be really, really tough today. As we're finding out with respect to Brett Kavanaugh, you have to be really tough when your opponents are the Democrats. You know, one thing that surprised me about uh, Mr. Trump, and it it follows what you're saying here, is I'm actually hearing a, a candidate actually carry through with his campaign promises. Jerusalem, and, sure, and, all over the place. Uh, Supreme Court uh, appointments, yeah. federal judiciary appointments, um, uh, tax reduction, just on and on. It, I, it's I it's actually shocking that a candidate's actually doing what they say they're going to do, so... Uh, and in particular, Republican candidate. I hate to say it that way, but yeah, I know uh, we we're, we're, we traditionally have been very good at caving. All right, so I'm going to just move this over really quickly. Um, before I do, I want to reintroduce all of our listeners. We're here with Frank H. Buckley, and we're discussing his book with regard to the revolution in American politics. So, Frank, tell us about your book, The Republican Workers Party. I don't think anybody got Trump. I mean, I was there at the beginning, and I saw what the candidate was like. I saw the ideas, and people are trying to twist him into a different kind of person and a different kind of politics, and they completely miss the point. That's the point of the Republican Workers' Party. I mean, this is a revolution in American politics. I mean, astronomers look for signs of the death and the birth of a star. That's what happened in 2016, and people still have not figured out that there is a completely new political party out there called the Republican Workers' Party. How is it different? I'll tell you. Trump, the core idea behind Trump is Trump is a nationalist. What does that mean? It means that on a lot of cultural issues, this guy is a proud American. He doesn't go around apologizing all over the place for how terrible we are. He doesn't start beating up on half of Americans as being deplorable or whatnot, right? He's a proud American, and that includes all Americans, right? Whatever your race is, whatever your religion is, all of that stuff. So that's one part of it. And if you kneel in a football game, you know, he's not going to like it. So that's one part of it. The other part of it is... If you're a nationalist, then you have a special feeling for Americans in need. You're not going to let anybody, you know, die for want of medical attention. Trump, in that respect, was running against a hard right Republican Party, pure libertarian. You know, the ideal kind of social welfare policy is nothing for nobody. That wasn't Trump. Trump, you know, I, I, I remember you know, the never Trumpers saying, yeah, but what about his entitlements policy? And we weren't going to go there, right? We were going to be ending, we're, we were going to be conservative on social issues 
and middle of the road on economic issues. And that's where we were on trade. That's where we were, uh, you know, bringing jobs to Americans. That's where we were on, on social welfare. That is the new party. And that is a sweet spot in American politics. So if you look back to 2016, I well remember the night of the elections. Um, I had been do doing poll watching in Chicago, which is always an interesting event. And uh, I got done about 8.30 and um, everybody was still predicting Hillary was going to win, but there was a hesitation in their voices. And all of a sudden, as the night went on, we had places like Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, uh -huh. and things began to change. So, so the Workers' Party, a lot of that centered in some of these states like Pennsylvania, Wisconsin. How, what happened there in those states? Well, uh, a couple of things happened. By the way, there's this kind of genre of entertainment, which, which I enjoy. It's when you get on YouTube and you watch what they were saying on Election Eve and all the networks, and you just say, yes, yes, yes. What happened? I'll tell you a couple of things. One is jobs, huge Absolutely huge. Still huge, I believe. Still huge, but the jobs are coming back like nobody said they ever could. It's just amazing what's happening to our economy. The other thing is we made a specific reach for religious voters. Um, and in fact, the campaign had to be trained a little bit about this. There's one big swing constituency in American politics, a Catholic voter. And Trump started out saying bad things about the Pope. And, you know, we had to do a a sharp turn on that one, but we made a big outreach, uh, big interviews on, on, you know, Catholic television, EWTN. And in the end, Catholics plus six for Trump, white Catholics plus 23. And it was totally under the radar screen for everybody. And when it was all over, I had dinner with a, a New York times reporter and I told him all this. I said, you know, he did an hour interview on EWTN and the New York Times guy said, uh, duh, what's EWTN? And I thought, yes, you, know, you still don't get it. So uh, what was the campaign um, strategy or uh, promises to what's, what's often referred to as a religious right? Well, mostly <clears throat> Supreme Court justices, right? We thought that the Supreme Court, number one, was just taking way too much power to itself by disregarding the Constitution, by failing to respect the Founders' beliefs, and and had tilted very much to the left in that respect. So the idea was we were going to get strong, strict constructionists, and, and that message was loud and clear, and Trump has delivered. Uh, how has he delivered for our audience? What he's done is he's appointed a couple, nominated, uh, one Supreme Court justice who's, who is strongly conservative, um, I guess a Episcopalian fellow, and, and now we have Brett Kavanaugh, and we're going to see how that'll turn out. Uh, in, in the few seconds we have before break, how do you think that will turn out? Put on your prophecy cap. Uh, it's going to be painful, but I think uh, Kavanaugh will get through. You're listening to Lawyers for Jesus Radio. I'm Rich Baker of the firm of Mount and Baker, and we're speaking with Frank H. Buckley. You can reach us at 312-726-1243. Again, that's 312-726-1243 or at maukbaker.com. That's M-A-U-C-K-B-A-K-E-R.com. Coming up, we will be talking further with Frank H. Buckley about the reform America needs and how we can help. We'll be looking at his book and an insight into the 2016 election. So stay tuned. 
Welcome back to Lawyers for Jesus Radio. I'm Rich Baker, partner with the law firm of Malkin Baker, and we are talking with Frank H. Buckley about his brand new book, uh, The Republican Working Party, and also looking at the change in politics that's taken place in the United States since 2016. Frank, when we were uh, just talking, we were talking about Supreme Court justice uh, appointments, nominees, that also goes down to the federal bench as well. It's not, yep. uh, and there's been a great change. Now, your background, actually, you were a lawyer in Canada. You're also a law professor here in the United States. One of your courses, I believe, has to do with the Constitution. Tell us a little bit about that course. Well, you know, the most amazing story in American politics is the summer of 1787 when we got our Constitution. And the real story is different from what most people think. The real story comes out from notes taken by Madison and a few other people in 1787. And what they tell is a story of really, really smart people working out a deal. And the deal they worked out is different from, say, what Madison wanted. The deal they worked out was for a country which would be a federal republic with power in the states much more than Madison wanted, for example, but, you know, you, you had these great kind of behind-the-scenes people like Benjamin Franklin, Governor Morris. They're just sitting there, and they're putting together deals, and they're, they're operating at an intellectual level that's dazzling and, that, you know, that leaves a, a few people wondering what's going on. And in the middle of all of that, you had people threatening each other with a hangman's noose, and, and, uh, and somehow it all came together. It just, it's just the most extraordinary story. So, given that background, um, you're aware of the the framers' idea of what the judiciary would look like. Uh, how does it look like today in comparison what Madison and the others actually envisioned at that time? Well, totally different, and, and there are a couple of reasons, but one reason is the Reconstruction Amendment, so you had to do something a little different because of that. But even with that, you know, that doesn't begin to explain what's happened to the Supreme Court in recent years with respect to its discovery of rights here, there, and elsewhere. And it was really, really important to take control of the Supreme Court by nominating, you know, the justices that Trump has nominated, uh, Neil Gorsuch, first of all, and, and perhaps Brett Kavanaugh now. It's really important for the court to back up and let politics do its thing. What we're talking about is the difference between nine unelected judges and the whole country and all the voters. And the more power you accord to the Supreme Court, the less power you're giving to ordinary American voters. They, they should be let to decide things for themselves. So in, in my review of American history, what happened, and, and I look at it back uh, maybe in the 50s or, or the development of the civil rights movement was there was a frustration with the legislature. It wasn't moving quick enough. Uh, change couldn't come in the way that it should come. So, so a number of groups began to look to the Supreme Court to get the change that they couldn't get out of the legislatures. Would you say that's accurate? I would say that's accurate. I mean, you, you know, what we're talking about are cases like Brown and Board of Education which I think were rightly decided on the principles of a Reconstruction Amendment. Some people say, you know, yeah, but it would have happened anyway if we had given it time. That's an argument without a, an answer, though. 
You you use the term the reconstruction amendments. I think we're talking fourteenth, fifteenth, and sixteenth amendments when, when you mention that. Am I correct? Yeah, thirteenth. I'm sorry, I missed the thirteenth. Yeah. That's right. Uh, rarely brought up, but right. but part of it. Um, and those involve uh, equal protection. They also involve due process, applying yeah. really what became applying the federal constitution to the the states over a period of time. And I think you know. If you're an American and you're a nationalist, you are entirely supportive of all of that stuff, right? If you're an American, you see, what's great about America is this, or what's, you know, pe people write about nationalism as if you could talk about it in the abstract, okay? So, all right. So there's like Israeli nationalism, and that's okay. And there's American nationalism, which is great. And then there's, you know, German nationalism. I'm not so sure about that one, okay? But the point about American nationalism is is rooted in the icons of American identity, which are things like speeches by Abraham Lincoln, uh, the Declaration of Independence, the Bill of Rights. You have to be a liberal in that respect to be an American nationalist. I always think of something like anybody could be president. Yeah. That that idea of of it's a it's an open society and and merit and those kinds of things play much more than just uh, you know what group you came from or how much money you have or something like that. I think that's an uh, an that, American thing. But, but let me take it back to Trump right now and really take it back to where we were about well, four well, years ago. Well, let me let me yeah. phrase that. Okay, okay, so to make America great again, which yeah. is which is part of the whole Trump campaign. Sometimes it's mocked. But I think that ties into what you're saying right Abs here. Absolutely right. I mean, look, if you read the pollsters, there was this amazing discovery around 2012. For the first time, Americans said, we no longer think our kids will have it better off than we did. Now, that's the American dream. So in 2012, the American dream was dead. We had become more immobile, more of a class society than a whole bunch of other countries. You know, Canada, much more mobile than us, much more free marketed in a number of ways than us. And what were we told? We were told by Obama, I'm going to fix this. And what did the Republicans at the time say? Nada. They gave the issue away to Obama. Along comes Trump in 2016. And what he's saying is, it's you guys who've made us immobile. It's you guys who've wrecked our economy. It's you, the Dems. You've talked about how you're going to make us equal and mobile and all that, but you're the guys who are causing the problems. How? By a terrible immigration system, by a rule of law, which is a swamp, and by a horrible third world K-12 education system. We should have full choice. We should allow kids to go to, to parochial schools if they want and have a state pay. That's how you make us mobile. You're listening to Lawyers for Jesus Radio. I'm Rich Baker of the firm of Malk and Baker, and we're speaking with Frank H. Buckley about what's going on in American politics. Well, let's let's pick that up. One of the hot buttons that is always before the American public is immigration. And so you were involved in the campaign in 2016, and certainly that was one of the major issues. Tell us about uh not so much what the media portrays that immigration policy as, but what actually is the idea there? The idea was really simple, actually. The idea is um, import the Canadian system, the point system. Well, here's the deal. We think we're the country of immigrants. No. 
The real country of immigrants is Australia. Number two, Canada, that's 25, 20% foreign born. We're 13%. We're, we're not even close. Plus, the kinds of people we're bringing in, bless their hearts, are much more of a drag on the American economy than the people who are immigrants in Australia and Canada. What does that mean in terms of ordinary Americans? It means we've given up stuff. It also means we think the government's not on our side. Immigration is not an issue in Australia and Canada, even though they have many, many, many more foreign-born people, because they don't think the government is against them. And when that happens, you can be more generous, for example, with respect to refugees. So you, I mean, you, you, you know, and it's just not a political issue. Here it's a political issue. Why? Because we all kind of know the whole point of the game with the present system is to bring in people who vote Democratic. In other words, it's not about America. It's not about helping America. You know, and, and, and sometimes that seems very harsh to say that, but but I, I sense that, that it's really a numbers game and not a compassion game, even though it's a, um, spoken of as a compassion game. Yeah, it's about bringing in maids and gardeners for the new class. These are the only immigrants they'll know. It's not about really bringing in people who will be your colleagues and so on. So so how does the – well, uh, I don't have anything against maids and gardeners. And actually, nope. we need maids and – actually, our employment is so high right now that we actually need to increase yeah. uh, immigration on that. So that that's not an issue. And, and you know, the old line, um, give us your poor, give us your tired, that's that's also something that's part of America. Yeah. And, and so when I look at an immigration policy, at least from my perspective – it's got uh, open borders doesn't work. Uh, that's a crazy idea. Um, but I do think a, a policy with compassion and direction is is a valuable thing. Well, listen, uh, you know, maids and gardeners are wonderful. But if, if you're looking at two people who are knocking at the door and one person is going to be you know, productive and will end up hiring Americans and creating jobs and the other person uh, won't, then who do you admit? And in other countries, the answer, every other country in the world has a different immigration system than ours. Either they don't take anybody in, or if they take people in, it's, are you going to make us better off? What's wrong with that? I mean, that's pro-American. Okay, and that certainly was part of the issue in Wisconsin and Pennsylvania and other places where the new Republican Workers' Party is taking place, I take it. Absolutely right. That was the whole point. And, you know, once again, the left hates the idea of the Republican Workers' Party because they think they have property rights in, in ordinary working people. And, you know, what I love is you go to some of the blue-collar communities, particularly the coal mining areas, and you look at how they voted in, in Wisconsin, 22 of 70 counties flipped from Obama in 2012 to Trump in 2016. That's not racism. And then you go to places like Harlan County, Kentucky, which is, uh, you know, sacred ground for the left, 90 percent pro-Trump. Frank, thanks for speaking with us today. Uh, how can people find out about your book and hear more about what you have to say? Well, it's just out. It's like 160 pages. You can get it on Amazon. It's the Republican Workers' Party. Uh, you know, you'll find it a, a quick read and short chapters, and it's the inside story. I'm Rich Baker with the firm of Malkin Baker. If you have a legal need or a question and want a perspective from a local Christian attorney, give us a call at 312-726-1243 or maukbaker.com. That's M-A-U-C-K-B-A-K-E-R.com. 
gonna have to serve somebody Yes, indeed, you're gonna have to serve somebody 